Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Well, look who it is. Well, well, well. Finally answering your phone. Here I am on the East Coast, Lucas. Aaron, do you know what TV series ended 30 years ago this week? 30 years ago? Yes. Gosh, no, I don't. Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, no. You were like a mega fan, right? Oh, man, still am. I thought so. So here's my question for you. Who was your favorite character? On Pee-wee's Playhouse. I've thought about this a lot, and I'll tell you, I've figured it out. My favorite is Globy. Globy, really? Okay. I would have thought for sure you were a genie guy. I like the genie. I like it. I mean, I literally, I like every single character, but I think Globy's my guy. I like how he's always like, he always points at his head and goes, that's right here. (laughs) (laughs) See, and all I remember is the genie saying... Mechaleka high, Mechahiney ho. Yeah, what's his name? His name is uh, Jombi. I have no idea. I haven't seen it in thirty years. So oh, man, you should watch it. You should watch it. It's. it's I don't still know where very, I would possibly do that. It's on Netflix. Is it really? Oh yeah, I wow. watch it with my kids a lot. Oh in man, fact, I will definitely watch it then. My uh, younger son was so into it that uh, for his third, I think it was his third or fourth birthday, he had a. Pee-wee's Playhouse themed birthday party. I remember this. Yeah. I remember seeing yeah. pictures of that. And Yeah. And I actually, I think I said something about, I posted pictures and um, this guy I know, this friend of mine said, Hey, I actually know Pee-wee. And he emailed him and Pee-wee sent an autographed picture for my son. That's incredible. Which was very cool. It was way cooler for me than it was for my son, but like I'm a, I'm a massive Were you like, fan. tell him my son's name is Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> it was an awesome, it was like an old 50s style photo. It said, hi, Golden, your friend, Kiwi. It was pretty awesome. That is amazing. Well, hey, I hope you're having a great time on the East Coast and, uh, and I sure booking am. all the acting gigs. <laughs> I'm doing my best, okay? Gosh, quit putting pressure on me. I just hope your best is good enough. <laughs> all right. No promises, Dad. All right, I'll see you, man. Okay, see ya. From Mill U Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 2, Episode 45, Limo Rides and Famous Donuts. Today we're looking back at the week 15 of Saturday, November 17th. Hello, friends, and welcome back to 30 Pop. I'm home from a fantastic vacation to the always magical Walt Disney World, and I couldn't be more excited to dive back into all the pop culture nostalgia from this week in 1990. As is often the case with this show, today I am especially excited to get to one particular piece of retro goodness, so I'm going to move pretty quickly through the rest. Hold on tight. We'll start with the part about which I care the very least. On November 11th, 1990, 
Kansas City Chiefs linebacker Derek Thomas recorded an astonishing seven sacks in a single game against the far more appropriately named Seattle Seahawks. I don't have any idea what a normal number of sacks might be in a football game, but I do know that Thomas's record still stands today, so I trust that it's impressive. I also know from researching, not from actually caring, that the record for the most sacks in a season is only 22.5, so seven in a single game seems pretty significant. So well done, Mr. Thomas. Yay, go sports. In music this week in 1990, the number one album in the country for the second of a whole lot of weeks in a row was Vanilla Ice's To the Extreme. We'll revisit that album often, so no need to linger today. The top single in the country, also for the second consecutive week, was Mariah Carey's Love Takes Time. And the number one song on the hot rap chart for the fourth straight week, despite Vanilla Ice's massive success, was Candyman with Knockin' Boots a song which will henceforth bring really uncomfortable images of my brother to mind following our conversation a couple weeks back on the show. New to the top of the hot country chart for this and only this week was Holly Dunn with her second and final number one song, You Really Had Me Going. You really had me going Stringing me I wanted very much to make fun of this song, especially after watching the music video, which is linked in the show notes and features essentially every bad hairstyle from the 1990 Nashville-centric country music scene. But when I learned that Holly Dunn passed away in 2016 at the age of 59, after battling ovarian cancer, it just didn't feel right. So I'll keep moving. The number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart this week in 1990 belonged to one of my very favorite groups at the time. New Jack Swing Trio and members of the legendary R&B group New Edition, Belle Biv DeVoe, with their song, BBD, I Thought It Was Me. I thought it was me, I thought it was me who makes that girl this way. I thought it was me, I can't find out she's like that every day. I thought it was me, I thought it was me that makes that girl so wild. I thought it was me, I found out she's like that with all the guys. Yo, Ron, what's up with that? Fly girl, you left the jam with. She's sticking closer to you than the bread on the meat of my sandwich. Now, I did love Belle Biv DeVoe and I did love this song, but I can't not point out how very ridiculous that line of the song is. If you missed it, it was Yo, Ron, what's up with that fly girl you left to jam with? She was sticking closer to you than the bread on the meat of my sandwich. If I wasn't trying to hurry up and get to the part of this episode I'm most excited about, I would definitely be covering this song in our segment, Bad Words. That's one of the most ridiculous lines I've ever heard, and it honestly just makes me love it even more. But nevertheless, we press on. We had three new major releases in theaters this week. I'll take them in the order in which I care about them, least to most, which also happens to be the order of the number of times I've seen them, least to most. First up, one I've never seen or had an opinion about one way or the other. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 29th full-length animated motion picture. Australia. Mysterious. Untamed. And for a young boy named Cody and his magnificent golden eagle, it was a world of adventure and discovery. Until 
They met the villain McLeach. That bird's gonna make me rich. An evil trapper who threatens to separate them forever. It's time you learned how to fish for crocs. No! But though hope is running out, a message is on the way. To the Rescue Aid Society. There has been a kidnapping in Australia. And two little heroes, Bernard and Bianca, are flying in. It's the rescuers in the most dangerous mission ever. We'll never make it! Cinch up your seatbelts, mates. Now, they're joining forces with their new friend Jake and his army of misguided mates. Howdy, howdy, howdy! Aw, oh, Frank, give it a rest. They're flying into action, riding into danger. Missed! <laughs> in the most breathtaking rescue mission ever. No! Hey, who killed the music? Oops. This holiday season, join Bernard, Bianca, Jake, and... Wilbur! ...in an adventure above the ordinary in the land down under. Walt Disney Pictures, The Rescuers Down Under. Throw another shrimp in a barbecue, sports fans. Here we come! I feel a slight tinge of guilt not caring remotely about this movie, having just returned from a glorious 10 days at Walt Disney World. But, I mean... In 10 glorious days at Walt Disney World, I didn't see a single Rescuers Down Under attraction or piece of merchandise, so they clearly don't care about it either. Next up, a movie I honestly couldn't have loved more, despite the fact that I'm maybe the only person I know who loved it. Correction. Loves it. I still love it. And the soundtrack for it. The fifth, and what will likely soon become at least a nine-film franchise spanning six decades. Rocky V. From a million to one shot, he became a true champion of the world. Now, the glory. Because of the continuous violent blows to the head, the effects are irreversible. The crowds. My husband is retired. He has nothing more to prove. And the money are gone. You lost millions. I still got my place in the old neighborhood. His title is in the hands of a new champion. He might win a few fights, but he's no Rocky Balboa. Controlled by an unscrupulous promoter. This is your medical report. It's not so good, but we can work around it. All that's left is his family. We've been down before. I'll get it all back. His heart. I gotta fight, okay? I got problems, I gotta fight. And a dream. A dream to get it all back. This is a tremendous opportunity. Opportunity for who? For you to make money for him to be disabled? You know he can't carry Balboa stuff. As long as I got Balboa in the brain, he'll always be champ. Man to fight, and if he refuses, then you gotta insult him. You gotta dog him. You gotta humiliate him. You gotta do whatever you got to do to get him into that ring. They tell me you're a piece of garbage. You know that? That's it. You told him I fight anywhere, anytime. In the ring, in the ring. Tommy Gunn only fights in the ring. My ring's outside. Yeah. Let's do it. Come on, Tommy, knock me out. I 
I do not now, nor will I ever understand why so many folks think of this as the weakest film in the Rocky slash Creed film universe. I love the entire series and would list this as at least the seventh best and probably the sixth best of them all. In order of least to most favorite for me, it would be Rocky Balboa, Rocky 3, Rocky 5, Creed 2, Creed, Rocky, Rocky 2, Rocky 4. Creed 3 is on the way, so it's not included. But if the rumors that Michael B. Jordan will not only return to star as Adonis Creed, but also make his directorial debut, I fully expect it to be very near the top of that list for me. I freaking love that guy. But none of that matters right now. I do wish so much that I could dedicate an entire episode to making a case for the greatness of Rocky V, but there was another film that also released on November 16, 1990, also about a fighter. And no matter how much I love Rocky V, it could never compare to this film. Not for me. Where are you going? We're going to miss the plane! When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the plane? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Troubles will be ours. Kevin! Home alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and it's Elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Marv. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up? Oh, yeah, thirsty for more. From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Directed by Chris Columbus, coming November 16th. I know I've mentioned it at various times throughout the life of this show, but I am a huge fan of Home Alone. I loved it as a kid, and I still love it to this day. I've been excited to cover it on 30 Pop since the very beginning of this show, and I'm just so glad the time has finally come. Home Alone was the number one film at the box office this week in 1990 and for the next 11 straight weeks as well. The closest we've seen to a box office run like that on this show was Look Who's Talking, which was number one for five straight weeks in 1989. But Home Alone was the top earner for three solid months in theaters. The fourth longest run in movie history, in fact. Behind 1982's Tootsie and 1984's Beverly Hills Cop, another favorite, each of which had 13 weeks at the top, and 1997's Titanic, which I suppose we'll cover in a few years, if we must. 
It was number one for 15 straight weeks. Needless to say, I'm excited to talk about this movie every week for the foreseeable future, so let's get to it. I've had the tremendous pleasure of sitting down with multiple cast members from Home Alone, and I'll be sharing our conversations almost entirely unedited over the next several episodes. That's not my norm, as I tend to obsess quite a bit over the content that I put out on this and other shows, but I love this movie too much to cut anything out at all, really. The first interview I was able to do from the film was with actor Larry Hankin, who played the minor but memorable role of Officer Larry Balzac in the film. Larry, can you pick up? There's some lady on hold. Sounds kind of hyper. What line, Rose? Uh, two. Family crisis intervention, Sergeant Balzac. I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone. Has a child been involved in a violent altercation with drunken and or mentally ill member of his immediate family? No. Has he been involved in a household accident? I don't know. I don't... I, I, I hope not. Has the child ingested any poison and or any other object that has become lodged in his throat? No, he's just home alone. And I would like somebody to go over to the house and see that he's all right, just to check on him. You want us to go to your house just to check on him? Yes! Let me connect you with the police department. No, they just transferred me to you. Rose! Yeah? Hyper on two. Hang on. Hold on, please. No, please don't hang up. Please don't... <laughs> I asked Larry for 10 to 15 minutes of his time, and we wound up chatting for well over an hour altogether. It was the best. So here's part one of my conversation with the wonderful Larry Hankin. Larry, welcome to 30 Pop. So good to have you on. It is such a treat. For me to get to talk to you today. Oh, thank you very much. Well, it's good. That's a treat for me to talk to you. <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> okay, that. There you go. So, as you can see from my shirt, this we're, we've just hit the 30th anniversary of the release of one of my truly all-time favorite movies. Maybe my all-time favorite movie, believe it Ooh, or not. Wow. At the very least, one of the greatest Christmas movies ever made. Oh yeah, definitely. Home Alone, in which you played Officer Balzac. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody says the name, I land. I mean, same here. So, w- where did the name come from? Was that in the script, or was that something you improvised? Well, it's in the script. Okay. But uh, as many fans have, you know, sent me, you know, a Sergeant Ballsack. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, and now I, well, I it never occurred to me while, while I was doing the the show, and you know, when I got the script, there's oh, Sergeant Ballsack, but because that's also um, a statue that. Um, it's a famous statue of Balzac mm-hmm. that uh, which which that French sculptor did back in the Impressionist days. Yeah, anyway, it's a famous statue, Balzac. He was a famous writer, Balzac. Uh, so that's what, what what the relationship I had. Oh, Balzac. Oh, that that uh, yeah. He's a sculptor. He's a yeah. writer. Yeah, I remember. No, I, I, but I never asked. And and one of the fans, you know, soon after the movie came out. Rose, it said B A L L S S A C K. And I thought, oh, fans get it faster than I do, and I'm the guy. But I, I'm sure that's why they said the name. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, these are funny people who wrote it. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about that. So it's directed by Chris Columbus, written by John Hughes, right? Right. I, th- I thought maybe they both, uh, yeah, it was written by John Hughes. I thought maybe they, you know, wrote it together. Maybe they no, checked it, it. I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but. No, it's written by John Hughes, but he's a funny guy. I mean, he knows what's, what's funny. And you've worked with him on multiple 
project. So you were plane trains and automobiles. Uh, yeah, she's having a baby. Yes. And uh, home alone. So this being a show where we're constantly looking back 30 years, John Hughes is very much a part of the conversation that we're having here. I would love to hear oh, yeah. what it was like working with John Hughes. Well, I just, because I had seen, you know, 13 Candles and uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, the famous one with the, in the lunchroom or in the gym. Oh, Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club is a mind blower, man. It is. I mean, it, it's not attached to any holiday or anything. But right. when I saw that, I mean, I go, holy cow, this guy knows what's happening. He's mm-hmm. funny. Uh, so I just want to be around where he was. Yeah, I Generally, when I meet people who uh, I admire uh, a lot, like John Hughes, um, I just, as they say, I, I apple. That's a, I, I just don't know what to say. Uh, you know, so I just go silent. So I just pretty much hung around him and, uh, you know, I stayed by the camera and, and didn't go into my dressing room much, if at all. I would just be on the set, just watching, just, you know, absorbing. I guess, I guess I, when I'm around people I admire, I just become like a sponge as opposed to yeah. a normal human being yeah. with, you know, things to say. I just... So, um, but, and he, and he was a weird guy. Uh, he, he's not your run-of-the-mill directors or human beings. And in that, he's very, very moody, and he turns on a dime. Uh, sometimes he'd be laughing and, you know, hey, it's all, everything is really cool. And then he'll shut up and be really moody. Or sometimes, you know, I'll come in and say, hey, what happened to John, uh, the second AD? Oh, he was fired. Why? I don't know. John just fired him. Wow. Yeah. So he was, uh, uh, there's a word for it. I can't think of it. It's like Quicksilver. He's just, uh, I remember once we, we went in a car ride, uh, he invited us several, uh, two, I guess two, uh, three of us from the, from the show, me and, uh, I, I can't remember the other two actors. They were, they were not the stars. Uh, they were just, you know, like me, you know, uh, not extras, but actors in the show. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, listen, there's a big uh, to-do going on, like a, like a, what was that thing, uh, the stage 52 in New York or something, 52? Mm, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, so he says, it's like that. But we were in Chicago. We were filming outside of Chicago. And um, so he said, uh, yeah, in Chicago, we're going to drive into Chicago. It was about a 40-minute drive away. Uh, and we soon in the boonies. And so we drove in. So it was a limo, his own limo. We had a chauffeur and we sat in the back. There was uh, him, his wife, and then uh, three other people, me and two other people. And we went. Uh, so uh, going, we were all excited. You know, we're going with John Hughes. We're all riding in a limousine, you know, chauffeur. And we're going to this 52 kind of thing. So we were all talking. Everybody's talking, you know, just... John was joking and we were all there. Okay, great. We get there. And it was really packed. It was like what you see in uh, in the old days, you know, people dancing. It was tiered. There was like four floors with an atrium in the middle. So you could you peek over and see what was going on all the way down the fourth floor. Or you could see the other things. So everybody, all, one, all five of us chose a different floor or a different section. We usually all separated. And, and they said, you know, just come back every 10 or 15 or 20 minutes to check in just to see what was going on. So fine, I hung out on the third floor and, 
And then about my, you know, 15 minutes, I went, well, let me see. Uh, we all meet here. You know, he said where we're going to meet. And I go back there. And he's sitting there. He's just sitting on on a, on a bench there. Uh, just nobody's around him. He's just sitting there. I said, well, are you okay, John? And, it, and then somebody else came up, you know, to check in. And they were all saying the same thing. Okay, John. You know, because he was just sitting there. I guess he just wanted to, you know, his wife went off. She went dancing with somebody. I was dancing with somebody, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm sure there was drugs there, but uh, because that's the kind of atmosphere. There was like hundreds of people on every floor and music and stuff. But um, nobody wanted to get high in our party because we were with John and uh, we didn't know where he was at. So let's just stay straight and everything. But then um, I said, I said something. Oh, he brought, and he bought a camera crew. That was the other thing. There was another car with, with a camera and a, well, it was only two guys. It was a camera and a mic, a mic guy. So he, they were filming this, they were filming us and it was all great. And then um, I said something to John at some point, like, oh, I could do that or blah, blah, blah. Oh, like I said, there's so many people, maybe they're pissing in the sink. I said something, you know, weird. I mean, you know, not, not really weird, but like something like pissing in the sink. And he said, would you piss in the sink? And I said, oh, yeah, sure. You know, like I, I thought this was a conversation. You know, oh, I'm talking to John Hughes now about pissing in the sink. Yeah, sure. Said, okay, let's film it. Come on, let's go. And he takes me. Now, I was, I never say no. You know, I, I always say, yeah, sure. Until, until I get, you know, to the edge of the cliff. And then, no, I'm not going to jump. I thought you were kidding. You know, I'll take it to that point. Right. Sometimes if it's not a cliff, but just something, well, I'll give it a shot, you know, and then I'll do it. So I yeah. thought, well, let me see what happens when we get down there. See if I back out or if John backs out or if the cameraman backs out. So we go into the men's room and now our group is there, you know, Hey, Hank is going to piss in the sink. Let's go down and watch that. So now all, you know, the, our limo is there in the background. Oh, it was the, 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 the female star was one of the actresses, uh, the actress. Okay. So the, this is for, this is while you're shooting home alone. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's one night, like okay. a Saturday night. So okay. she's staying. And I was kind of embarrassed. I mean, she's, you know, why'd you bring her? I mean, you know, you know, she's like a nice actress. She's a young lady. Why, why are we doing this? And I get over to the sink then the camera's behind me. So I thought, all right, well, I'll just zip down, but I'm not going to do anything. I'll just, you know, they're filming, filming me from the back. They can put the sound of water tinkling in the sink later. But no, John wanted, you know, get, no, get him, you know, get the whole thing. You know, so that's, that's when I chickened out. I said, no, I'm not going to do this because God knows what John Hughes is going to do. See, I didn't know where it was going to go. If it was just... Right. And thank God later, I found out months later, yeah, he took all the footage of this cameraman and guy because he was filming everything. He was making a documentary. So, and, you know, and it showed up at a party. So thank God. I didn't do that it. is the last story I expected to hear. It would, be on, it would be on Vimeo. It would be on you know, Zoom or something. Now. YouTube, yeah. But when I refused to, to take my member out, my business out, he got pissed. He really got pissed. And, uh, he, you know, he gave him very moody. You know, like, all right, let's go. Wow. Let's get out of here, you know, blah, blah, blah. All right, so we all went back to our, you know, tears. 
And then, I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes later after that, it was maybe 11 o'clock, you know, we only got there about 9.30 or 10, or maybe 10.30 even. He said, uh, uh, one, oh, and, and it was an AD, so it was the fourth guy, uh, a fourth member, besides him and his wife. The AD started to round us all up, say, hey, the limo's leaving, John's leaving. Why? What was that? Jesus, that's my phone. Siri, just talk to me. Um, so uh, we said, wow, you know, we're leaving so early. What's going on? And we all met where we were supposed to meet. And John was very dour. He was just really. Uh, and we all thought afterwards when we spoke that had something had happened to John or somebody had come on to his wife or something. I don't know. I didn't think it was me. I, I you know, but he and the ride back was the weird, weirdest ride I've ever been in except maybe one other time if you want to know about it but it has nothing to do with this it was a, because it was silent he didn't talk he just sat there in the back stone-faced so we were all stone-faced i mean we tried to in the beginning try to break the ice a little and joke around but it wasn't working and he wasn't joining in anything he just sat there and his wife just sat next to him and so the the rest of the four of us just shut up so it was like a 30-minute drive in silence, <laughs> the limo. It's just, you know, it's not done. It's just not no. done. You sit in the yeah. with five people in a limo. You got to talk. You know, you got to have, you know. So it was really weird. And then, um, I don't know, you know, and then, and then I just stayed away. From, I mean, I didn't, I didn't stay away from him. But it, 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 it kind of interfered with, any kind of relationship I was trying to make mm. with them, like being friends with them or anything. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. I just let me just do my job. Yeah. Good. And I won't get fired like John did. So that was the change in the atmosphere from that party before and after. That's so odd. So you yes. were on set. Yes. Like you, so you're, you're in essentially like one brief, but really memorable scene. Yes. Yeah. And, and, I got to just say, and I tell this to everybody, what the memorable scene is the donut. Yes, that it is. That's piece of donut is more famous than I am. <laughs> I don't know about that. I swear to God. I, I swear to God. I swear to God. The you other know? thing that's memorable to me is your, your voice. Your voice is so familiar. So you left me a voicemail the other day, and when I heard it, it came through really late for some reason. When I heard it, I was like, oh, my God, like that. That is that voice that I've known my whole now, life. That's really weird that you bring that up because a lot of people, when I get on the phone or they call me or, or I know if I call them, you know, mm -hmm. uh, hello is blah, blah here. Oh, hey, Larry, how you doing? How did you yeah. know it was me? You know, this is even before the, you know, the number don't comes up on your phone. You know, so oh, yeah. You know. No, it's even before or, or even if they don't have my number. So, you know. Oh, hey, Larry. I said, well, how did you know? Oh, your voice, man. Yeah, really, really distinctive voice. I never knew that about my voice. <laughs> I, well, I don't know anything recognizable about it, but okay. I could hear your voice and know exactly who I'm hearing, you know, picture your face, know everything that you've been in. I mean, it's, wow, it's just yeah. a really, really distinct voice. Well, I but... guess, okay, I don't, I'm not a fan of me. Yeah. I mean, so I don't hear, you know, because all yeah, I see, well, you you're in everything. Every well, I don't watch everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't watch yeah. TV or, you know, I, I'll, I'll watch me in a scene, you know, just to check, to see, you know, what, what I did. It's a learning thing. I mean, I'm into process. I, re I yeah. really, I, 
I guess it's maybe an ego thing. I never thought of it that way. But when I watch me, I, I want to see, can I do it better? You know, how is there another sure. way I could have done it? So you're you're in the one scene. You couldn't have been on set for terribly long. How long were you on set for this movie? The answer to that is actually a, a, a short story, but it, it's a story. Uh, Perfect. In that, how I got onto that movie has never happened in my life. I don't think it's happened in anybody's life. It's a weirdness. Um, what happened was, and this is a short, short little tale, but what happened was I was just sitting at home and I get a call from my agent, hi, and he says, what are you doing right now? And I go, nothing, I'm watching TV or nothing. He goes, okay, get down to, uh, I think it was Warner Brothers, but it doesn't really matter. Get down to Warner Brothers, whatever it was, the studio was out in the valley and I'm by the beach. Get down, get down to Water Mothers right away. They're closing the audition in an hour and a half. Uh, they, they want you to audition for a Home Alone's John Hughes movie. When I heard John Hughes movie, I go, wow. Here's the two things that, here's the one thing that I hate getting that kind of call. Most people say, wow, no. Because if they say, get down there right away, they're closing in an hour and a half, and the valley is an hour away. The only thing it means to me is somebody got fired. They need a replacement immediately. And the first thing that goes into my mind is, oh, they want me to replace somebody. They wouldn't hire me to be the first person there, but to replace somebody, I got to rush down there now. You know, I mean, that's, I got this attitude problem, man. It's just, so, but okay, you know, it's like, you know, it's all sweaty time now. You know, I'm running downstairs, I'm getting dressed in some kind of, you know, nice stuff. Maybe I was in my pajamas, who the hell knows? You know, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm getting in the car and I'm jamming it, you know, all the way down. It's an hour ride there in this traffic. Okay, I get there and, um, yeah, and sure enough, there's nobody else there. It's just me. It's a replacement. Somebody just got fired. And, you know, like I told you before, John is fired. What happened to John? So, you know, turned out that's what's going on. So I get down there and uh, she says, uh, so, you know, I was PO'd because there's nobody there. And if there's nobody there, then who's filming you, who you're auditioning with is an assistant. An assistant assistant. I mean, this is actually mm-hmm. go upstairs and audition, you know, uh, Larry Hank, and he's coming in. I don't know when. Just get, get him on tape. It's one of those things. And you go in and you go into a little room. It's a very little room and there's nobody there. There's just, I, I mean, there's just a rug and a chair and a camera tripod and a little off the shelf, you know, uh, mm-hmm. CVS, you know, Sammy's camera and, and uh, an assistant, you know, somebody who's like 23 years old, you know, they're probably a typist or something. So I'm just like bugged with the whole thing now. I mean, all the shine is off, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. You know, it's okay. You, uh, and she's going to read with me. So do you want to stand or you want to sit? No, stand. She's you being know, right? Rose or she's being, what? Uh, is she is she playing the part of Rose or is she playing the part of Kate McAllister? No, she's playing the part of a secretary who's told to go upstairs and film this new actor who we're getting for the replacement. That's okay. who it is. And that's who I'm reading with, you know? Okay. So, uh, yeah, luckily he doesn't talk to anybody much except Rose, you know? Right. But so, but still. And I'm an actor and I want, you know, somebody to work with here. But no, because I I know also that if if it's who who that is, what she does is she says, okay. And I stand and she says, okay, you're ready? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. 
And then it's a couple of three lines. And she's reading from the book, so she's not even looking at me. She's, you know, blah, 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 blah. This is really great. She says, okay, you want to do it again? Do I have to do it again? No, you don't have to do it again. If you want to do it again, you can. Do you want me to do it again? Well, I don't want you to do it again. If you want to do it again. No, I don't want to do it again. I just want to get out of here. Okay, but you don't have to do it again. Okay, thank you. Out. Okay. And I get a call from my, when I, as soon as I get back, she says, did you do audition? I go, yeah. She says, okay, here's what's going on. Daniel Stern is giving him problems. He's arguing. Uh, so I, it wasn't, I wasn't auditioning for Miss, the, uh, the cop, uh, okay. the, the, the guy with the donut. I, I was auditioning for Daniel Stern's part. That's really that's okay, but I didn't. I didn't know. I I didn't know uh, when I got back because they gave me just this one page just to do, do the audition. So I didn't know it was a big part or a little part. Just give me a page, and they said, "Read this." You know, go down there now. Okay, so I did that. So he says, "Okay, Daniel Stern is giving him problems with the salary. He wants to quit. He wants more money, but they've already shot him. They've shot him mm. for one day." So, yeah, it's expensive to get somebody, you know, you got to reshoot. They, they don't like to reshoot, they, you know. So it's a, but they've been in, they've been in negotiation for like three days and he won't break, you know, he won't come up his price. So they want to fire him and they want to get you to replace Daniel Stern. I go, wow, man, that's a lead, you know, one of the leads. Yeah. I go, holy cow, I didn't know that. I wouldn't give, you know, wow. And, you know, my attitude, what did I just do, man? So uh, he says, so. Here's the deal. Um, if they fire him, they want to get rid of him immediately and just reshoot the one day so it's not an expense. But if they keep on negotiating with him and they keep on shooting him, it's getting more and more expensive to replace mm -hmm. him. So you're going to know within five hours. So it was about, I don't know, two or three o'clock. He said, pack your bag, um, Put it behind the couch. <laughs> Put it behind the couch. I don't know why I said behind the couch. Put it behind the couch. Sit by the phone and wait for a phone call. You're going to know uh, uh, within a half hour what's going on. I go, wow, now I'm stoked. Holy cow. A lead in a John Hughes movie with Joe Pesci. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then so I'm waiting. I'm just sitting there, you know, already, uh, you know, go to the airport. And I get the call. Ring. What is it? Okay. Uh, um Daniel uh, Stern caved. Forget it. Unpack. Bye. Click. Oh, man. I mean, what? A this is the same day as the audition. Yeah, I mean, but just the whole, I mean, just from, God damn it, why do I have to do this? You know, it's just, mm -hmm. the, why are they, re you know, replacing me? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's a small part. What the hell? Nobody's here. It's the lead. It's one of the leads. Oh, my God. It's John Hughes. It's Joe Pesci. You don't have anything. Nothing. Goodbye. <laughs> so, I mean, just that roller coaster was just very depressing. Was depressing. So how did you end up landing Officer Balzac? Okay. So three or four days go by and nothing. I get a call. Hey, uh, what are you doing right now? Oh, man, what? Uh, nothing. I'm not doing anything. Now what? Well, they just called. Uh, home Alone production company just called. And this is what they said. Listen, Larry, um, they feel so guilty about twisting you around about the Daniel Stern thing and then blowing you off that they want you in the movie 
just because they want to take the curse off the movie. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but there's only one part left. It's a very small part, and they're very embarrassed to offer you this little two-line part after they were going to give you a lead. So they don't know what to do. So here's the deal that they'll give you. If you will do the only part left for you in the movie, uh, for anybody in the movie, they'll fly you there first class to Chicago from, you know, LAX. Um, first class, uh, pick you up in a limo, drop, uh, drive you to the set in a limo. Uh, you'll fly tomorrow morning. You'll get there. You'll shoot for a half hour. Uh, for, for two hours, so you get there around noon or one o'clock, they'll be ready up and they'll set, be all set for you. They have their costume in your side, have your costume in the side, it's all set for you. They'll be ready, they'll put you into the scene because they're waiting for you. If you want to sleep in your bed that night, they'll take you from the set, limo you back to the airport and fly you back so you can sleep in your own home and they will pay you $10,000 to do that. Goodness. Will you do that? Right, I'll do that. Are you serious? Yes. Yeah, let's do this. Great. And I have dyslexia, so uh, I'm a dyslexic. So learning lines is very hard, and I only had two lines, and I'm going to get $10,000, man. This is so cool. And sure enough, man, uh, the, the next day or the day after that, Limo shows up right in my apartment, you know, downstairs, and everybody's watching as me. I get this a white limo a white stretch limo and I get in and they fly me down in first class. And they fly there. There's a white limo with my name on it, you know, Mr. Hankin. And they take me to the set and they they guide me. As soon as the thing, they're waiting for me. So as soon as the thing, there's a guy opens the door right this way, Mr. Hankin. And they rush me upstairs and then everybody's waiting. The set is all set. Oh, and here is the catch. Uh, uh, while, while I'm talking to my agent, he said, Okay, is there anything? No, they got everything. They got the costume. It's all set up. A limo, $10,000. And I wish you there and back and you sleep in your own bed. Is there anything you need? Like what? Like a prop or anything you want. I said, yeah, I want, I want, a, I want a donut. I want a glazed donut. Okay, that's it. And that's it. Okay, I'll tell them. All right, fine. So they wish me there next to the set on the thing. They say, you sit there. Here's your costume. Go in, I, I change immediately because now I'm thinking this is all a rush thing. Change in, I get in my costume. When I come back on the set, they have one of the baker's bakery trays where they have, it's a rolling thing. It's about six feet high and they have shelves. Oh, yeah, and yeah. In yeah. it, it's filled with glazed donuts. There must be about 100 donuts at least. All these shelves and they roll it right in. They said, you wanted the glazed donut, right, Mr. Hank? <laughs> well, Larry, you say Larry. You're running it, right, Larry? Okay. Yeah, wow. So now my mind is blown. Okay. And they said, I'm just going to eat one. I mean, you know, there's two, two lines. It's going to be one take. I don't know what the hell they're doing. But okay, fine. I'm not, hey, oh, oh, good. I get in the thing and I go, you know, blah, blah, blah. You want me to sit it here, blah, blah. Rose, you know, well, we're, you know, we're, we're hyper, hyper on, on two, two. <laughs> hyper on two. And I've only seen it twice or three times. <laughs> I've read two years ago, hyper on two, 10 times. And it wasn't me, 
but there was a, a screw up every time. One time, a huge, this is the old days, this is before the internet, this is before, you know, digital. So they had movie lights there, huge things up there. You know, it was a set. And it, one of it blew and it showered down glass, you know, from a blown up bowl, oh you know, on it. So they had to clean the set and everything like that. So we're waiting. And then, Nine other times there were screw ups. Uh, the dolly, the camera went off the dolly. Uh, it was blurred. They, a, they didn't get the shot right. But it wasn't me. So I'm eating ten donuts, <laughs> and e each time, and I'm, you know now the again the shine is off. <laughs> I just yeah. want to get out of it. Uh, you know how many? And, I, and each time I had it, was that me? Was that me? No, no, no. The camera went off the dolly. You know. Uh, okay, fine. So now I'm thinking, there is a curse on this movie, you know, and it's me. <laughs> so I'm thinking, uh, now I'm getting like nervous about, I, I don't know why this is going bad. I, I just, I've never, this has never happened. So finally, the 10th time. So yeah, the 11th time. I get a donut, you know. All right, give me another donut. All right, blah, 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 blah. blah, 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 blah. Cut. Okay, and then the, Chris Columbus comes running over to me. He says, come here, come here. I want to I show you something. Oh, and when, when he said, cut, you know, I was waiting for, oh, my God, we got to do it again. Nothing was silent. Oh, cool. When I saw him running at me, I thought, oh, now I f up. And he, and, but everybody was laughing. I thought, I f up so bad that, you know, now I'm the laughing stock. So he comes, I want to show you something. Come here, come here. And he goes, he drags me over to uh, TV Village, you know, where, where they have the playback. Yeah. And he says, I want you to see this. And he said, well, what did I do now? He said, just, just watch this. And I go, blah, 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 blah. Rose, and there, boom. You know, <laughs> and I'm watching it. And they're all gathered around watching the take. And, and as soon as it's over, I go, oh, shit, man. All right, I got to do it again. All right, give me another donut. He says, no, no, that's going in the movie. You're dismissed. Get out of here. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So, and everybody said, how did you, how did you fix that? You know, what was that, you know, a green screen or how did you make that thing happen? I had to eat 10 freaking donuts, man. <laughs> you know, that's, oh. but, but, but here's the, the end. Just the end of the story is because when I, when I saw that, he said, you're in a movie. I said, wow, man. I couldn't never do that's capturing lightning in a bottle, you know. Yeah. And why it was funny. I wanted to know why that happened. In other words, I'd eaten 10 donuts each time somebody, and me included, had to clean up the crumbs on the desk to start over again, you know, because mm -hmm. I was eating donuts and it would, the crumbs were falling. But uh, so I wanted to know why all those crumbs for 10 donuts didn't stick, but the 11th did. You know, I'm an industrial designer. I, I have to know how things work. You know, I, I just, yeah. I, I just, so uh, I, I go over to the donut tray where all the, you know, 90, 90 donuts are, right. 89 donuts. Right. And I look at them and they're glazed donuts. And they said, you know, they're old movie lights. Those movie lights are really oh, hot. Yeah. And all the glaze yeah. had melted and it was just soft and gooey like glue. So by yeah. the time I got to the 11th one, the stuff was soft enough to stick like glue.
That's so amazing. that's our lucked out, man. And every Christmas I get a big residual. You know, it's not $10,000, but I get a residual. That's like a yeah. Christmas present. So yeah. that's a gift that never stops giving. It's great. It's amazing. Not to beat a dead horse. I hate that phrase. Not to be too redundant, but I loved this conversation and can't wait to share the second half of it next week. I'm also super excited to share the other cast member interviews that I've been doing. So definitely keep coming back. There's also some other really amazing stuff from 1990 to talk about between now and the end of the year, so rest assured it won't only be Home Alone. Friends, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming back each week to wade in these nostalgic waters with me. It's just so much fun. I'll be back next week for more, but before I go, I do have to ask. You proved you're good with a lie. Are you that good with goodbye? 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com.